Welcome to the Baseball SDL Podcast, brought to you by Dave Sinclair Ford. J.J. Bailey with you. Chris Raby joins me after the first three games of the season, three ugly games. As always, I feel I should give a shout-out to our music producer, Ben Arnold. You can follow Ben on Twitter at BenArnold88. Uh, I feel bad. I have not given him a shout-out in the first couple episodes. Ben, I did not forget about you. Thank you for putting the music together. Chris, Cardinals leave Pittsburgh. Yes. Uh, They leave Pittsburgh pretty sad. Cardinal Nation leaves Pittsburgh pretty worried, wouldn't you say? Um. I guess if you're judging by Twitter and the reactions of people, um, it's three games, three games that, you know, a second game that you could have easily won, uh, mm. first game that you get uh, beaten by Francisco Liriano, and then the third game in which Mike Leake was not good at all. So, yeah, I mean, I guess you can be worried. I, I guess disappointed is more a better word for it. I don't think I'm Worried because I don't think that anything I saw in those first three games changes the trajectory of what I expect for this club or what I expect for this division. Obviously, a couple of injuries that you would have preferred to not have to deal with coming out of spring training uh, into the first series of the year. But, yeah, I think I would characterize it as as maybe disappointed and a little bit frustrating, just especially when you wait so long for baseball to come back and you kind of have the thud of getting (laughs) swept out of the first series of the year. Yeah, it's like tripping, stepping out the door on your way to work. I guess I think we'll start with the bad. You mentioned the injuries from about the last week of spring on Cardinals lose Jordan Walden, Cardinals lose Brian Pena, Cardinals lose Ruben Tejada, who was already replacing an injured Johnny Peralta. Marco Gonzalez now in trouble. Tommy Pham gets hurt when he's out there. And then you look at an offense that strikes out close to 40 times. Um, Starting pitching that stumbled quite a bit. Michael Walker's command looked a little rough. Mike Leake had that ugly first inning. Did manage to make it into the fifth. Yeah. um, But could not clear five innings in his first Cardinal start. So uh, and then in offense, like we said, you can't get the timely hit when you need it. You know, they, they go to extras, but they just cannot get over the hump. Uh, they start 0-3. Randall Gritchick strikes out six times in his first 10 at-bats. He even gets a, a quote-unquote day off on the third game of the season, uh, which is never a good thing to have. But there was some good in there as well, uh, namely the bullpen, the bullpen that arguably is responsible for many of those 100 wins last year, uh, came in with some new additions and lived up to the billing, you know. Uh, Seung Wan Oh, very, very effective. Seth Maness did end up getting up, giving up the decided run, but he was able to go a couple of innings effectively. Tyler Lyons was effective. Kevin Segers was effective. Trevor Rosenthal was effective. Jonathan Broxton was effective. They threw uh, 11 and two-thirds innings, allowed three runs over that coverage period. So that right there is, if you're looking for a glass half, excuse me, glass half full situation, that's what you got to point your uh, point your sights at, right? Yeah, and I think we all knew that was kind of going to be the name of the game. You didn't expect this team to come out and, and put up incredible amounts of runs. You expected the offense, and I do expect the offense to be a little bit better, um, especially yeah. if if you're actually healthy this year. But you know, it's a real strength of the team and the starting pitching, despite. What people might think after the first three games of the year, I still think the starting pitching is a real, real strength to this team. I think the bullpen is among the best in baseball, even with the loss of Jordan Walden. So you're still in a situation where if you can score some runs, if you can get the offense going, and hopefully these next couple of weeks against some inferior opponents is a good opportunity to make that happen, then you're able to use that bullpen to your strength and you're able to try and shorten some games and and get some wins and also at the same time uh, kind of 
cyclically use the starters to take pressure off the bullpen and use the bullpen to take pressures off the starters, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what I mean. That's what has made Pittsburgh so effective is yeah. Clint Hurdle found a way to shorten games. You know, with the bullpen that good, you can get to essentially your stoppers earlier in the game, and it gives an offense maybe five, six innings to work with against you. Uh, this Cardinal offense could maybe use five or six extra innings to to work with against you. Now, granted. Uh, Small sample size, and we'll keep saying this over and over, and, and God bless them, they're not the Padres, who uh, <laughs> still have yet to score a run in 2016. You and I have scored as many runs in this booth as the Padres have scored on a baseball field in three games. But small sample size, and with that disclaimer there, there are some things that you realize now are are troubling because you know Jed Jorko was a, a, a super sub role with some power, but now he's either an everyday starter at shortstop or Aledmiz Diaz, who has zero MLB experience yeah. at the plate. Uh, you know, you, you lose Randall Gritchick early in the year to a little bit of a strikeout bug. You hope he works out of that. I mean, a lot of guys start really ugly over 10, over 20, over 30 sometimes and work out of it. But I think the biggest bugaboo from last year's offense was that they couldn't put the ball over the wall and they played station to station and even rip gap doubles were down. And you haven't really seen any consistent threat. You know, Jed Jerko hits a home run. You know, Brandon Moss takes a couple good swings. Stephen Piscotti, Jeremy Hazelbaker comes up. Uh, he puts one over the wall. But you haven't seen what looks like a sustained threat in this offense, and that was the question mark coming in. And I guess that's probably where most of this concern comes from is I think everybody was desperate to see those fears assuaged a little bit. And really what you saw was the same problems last year. There's a couple guys hitting well in the lineup, and you're just clawing along until you get to their spot in the order. Yeah, and – Again, I think that some of the young guys are question mark too, and it's what we see with young players around baseball. It's the same question I have this year about the Cubs. You can't just slide guys that have never played a full season in and assume, A, that they're going to stay healthy, and B, that they're going to replicate what they did over portions of a year or portions of a couple of years over the course of a full season. So my question now becomes, what does Mike Matheny do and how does he handle this lineup over the next week or so as you're trying to find your identity? Will we see him continue to move things around and try to you know, move guys up and down the order and give guys a day off and put a guy in. I wonder if that's the best approach or if you roll out what you think is your best eight, you roll out for the most part the order that you want to hit them in and you let them hit in that order. And maybe that's as simple as just stacking them top to bottom, your best guys. Maybe that's as simple as um, leaving Matt Carpenter up in the one, putting Stephen Piscotty second. You want to get him as many at-bats as possible and just letting that breathe for a little bit because, you know, we've seen now, what, three different lineups over the course of three different days. Some of that yeah. because, you know, you had Matt Holiday at first the first day. I know Tommy Pham now is hurt. I don't know how he would have affected things, but I'm curious, your thoughts too, JJ. Do you keep searching and moving guys around and sliding them around? And I'm not suggesting that that damages guys' psyche or that necessarily automatically has an adverse effect, but, you know, I kind of like the idea of constructing the lineup how you want to construct it, especially if Gritchick and Piscotty are your guys. I mean, we heard that Piscotty and Gritchick are both going to be, in, in parts, replacements for Jason Hayward. Gritchick struggles a couple of games, and he's on the bench, you know? Um, yeah. And again, I know Hazelbaker's lefty. You get him in there. But um, I, I kind of hope that at least over the weekend in Atlanta and then coming back here, we kind of figure out how this lineup is going to look. And then we see what it can do because they're not going to be facing Francisco Liriano. You know, um, they're going to have some advantages. And I know that you want to get platoon advantages when possible. 
And that might affect the construction of the lineup. But I wouldn't mind seeing some consistency in the lineup over the next four, five, six games and seeing how this thing looks. Yeah, I I agree with you there, especially, I mean, in baseball, it is a sport of averages, right? I mean, you play 162 games. That's why people don't get too excited when someone's hitting 400 in the first month because they know things even out. And really what baseball does is it evens out and things regress to their natural state over the course of repeated instances. And I think that is, there is an argument to be made for exactly what you're saying there is that get the lineup the way you want it, the way you think it is best equipped to help you win games, and then just let some of those averages build up. Because if you give them two at-bats in this slot and then your day off and then two at-bats in that slot and then you're moving them around and no one knows where they're hitting when they come to the park, that adds to... Or if they're in the lineup. I yeah, mean, or if they're Brandon in the lineup. Moss and Matt Adams think, yeah. And that adds to the pile of things that you have to prepare for. And baseball is done, like, at, at, its, at its core, it's done at, at its best with guys like Matt Carpenter um, who do it with a rote precision where everything is an accounted for variable and you prepare the same way every day. And that's how they got to 100 wins last year was treating everything as a constant, as the same. And early on in the season where you're trying to find your role and you're trying to find your spot in the order and you're trying to find your swing, throwing more and more variables into that preparation mix can affect the psyche, even subconsciously. I'm not saying Randall Gritchick is sitting, you know, wringing his hands in his bathroom asking where he went wrong, but I am saying that when you're trying to get things in line for yourself, adding another level of uncertainty messes with the mixture a little bit. And I think Mike knows that, and that's a guy, I, I was surprised to see him tinker as much as he did. I was surprised to see him throw Matt Holiday at first as soon as he did, because Mike is a manager that likes consistency and he likes repeatability, and so far... This, there is no foundation yet for this team of where people are going to hit and yeah. if they're going to play. Well, and, and I think, too, you know, Randall Gritchick's a better baseball player than Jeremy Hazelbaker. Um, Matt Adams and Brandon Moss are better baseball players than Jeremy Hazelbaker, right? I, I think that's pretty fair to say. So with Tommy Pham out right now, I think your best lineup is Holiday and left, Gritchick in center, Piscotty at right, and Adams or Moss at first base. That also gives you the ability late in the game to bring Hazelbaker in, if you like, as a defensive replacement in left right. field, perhaps. Um, the same way they did with John Jay and Jeremy Hazelbaker yeah. is a bigger threat at yeah. the plate than it, John Jay It gives Jay you was. some thump off the bench, but you know, I, I think my best lineup right now is Moss or Adams at first, Wong, Carpenter, Jerko at short, Holiday, Gritchick, Piscotty left to right in the outfield. Then you figure out the lineup. Uh, I, I think you want to keep Carpenter at the top of the order just for stabilization. I know Colton Wong has you know, talked about that, and if it wasn't for his struggles, I don't know when we'd start to hear the maybe Colton Wong should bat leadoff to try to spark this team. But you know, I think my ideal lineup is something like maybe Carpenter first, Piscotty second, take your pick, or... You know, I guess you could you could throw someone else second in there and put Piscotty third. Uh, is Matt Holiday a three hitter anymore? He hasn't really looked like it over the first couple of games. But you just need to figure out what that looks like, and I think you need to roll with it. And you know, I think that lineup includes Matt Holiday. I think it includes Randall Gritchick and Stephen Piscotty every day. Uh, it hasn't for the first few, um, and then I think it includes Matt Adams or Brandon Moss at this point at first base with no Tommy Pham available. Yeah, I agree. And I think that in the modern statistical or analytics revolution, um, lineup construction has gotten in some ways more simplified if you follow the numbers, where you give your best hitter the maximum amount of at-bats, 
and you move down the lineup through there. And right now, Matt Carpenter is probably the best overall hitter on this team in terms of his ability to get on base, his ability to drive the ball over the wall, his ability to hit for average. Um, Steven Piscotty is perhaps the most complete hitter after him, though he has a very small sample size of his own. So I think you're right. I think those two guys near the top, I think Randall Gritchick near the top, and once you get into the middle of the lineup... I kind of like separating the lefties out, too, because we saw a couple of times in that Pittsburgh series where you wrapped around and you got hurt uh, by a lefty, by Tony Watson coming in. I remember, I think, twice specifically, and he faced... And and once it was because Pham had to leave the game, so Adams had to go in, so it was kind of quirky, but I like to avoid two to three lefties in a row or or within three or four guys of the Cardinals, knowing late in a game how a team can use a left-handed fireman to take advantage of that too. Yeah, and you can really go right, left, right, left, right, left if you want in the Cardinals. Yeah, you can lineup. go left, right, 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 left. You yeah, know? and I think you can. I think what you what you hit on there is is Piscotti and, and, and Carpenter need to be near the top of the order mainly because they get on base consistently and they don't strike out as much as some of the power hitters. And even if they do, they lengthen at bats, which what you want is them chewing up pitches them getting as many at-bats as possible. When you get down to the power guys, I think you you do hit on something that Matt Holliday is not a prototypical three-hitter anymore, um, but he is still dependably yeah. reliable at the plate in the sense that he doesn't yeah. swing at bad no, pitches. No, you're right. It- but I think there, there is something, if, if three and four are your big power slots, Matt Holliday does not fit that profile so much anymore. He can still mash, but four, Randall Gritchick, I have no problem with four as an OBP slot. And if he starts to yeah. get on base the way he did at the beginning of last year, um, that then I'm good with going if we're kind of workshopping this right now. If we're going Carpenter, Piscotti, Holiday, Gritchick, then you can slide one of the lefties in if you like the first yeah, baseman. Adams or Moss, yeah. Um then you can go Jerko, then you can go where do you put Yachty? I mean, he's been hitting well. So some interesting looks, but I think you kind of have to go Carpenter, Piscotti, Holiday, one through three, then probably Gritchick four, right? That's where I would lean. I mean, you know, again, you wait until you see now, and we talked about this a little bit, I think, last night, that Piscotti could even fit that new idea of what a leadoff man yeah. is, where it's not it's not D. Gordon's speed necessarily. It's just get on base reliably. Well, that's kind of what John Jaso has, has done yeah. for Pittsburgh, too. He doesn't yeah, exactly. steal bases. He's not blazing fast, but he's a good on-base guy, and that's kind of what they needed for that lineup. And again, I'm really confident that with Carpenter, Piscotty, Holiday, um, if this team starts to get on base like I think they should, then they're going to be fine. They're yeah. going to be fine, especially if they are a little bit more aggressive on the base pass like they talked about over the course of spring. And again, to come back kind of full circle, you then add that into the mix of of the pitching that you've got and the bullpen that you've got, and, and I think you're going to be in good shape. But again, frustrating first three games, absolutely. And let's not lose sight of the fact, too, you know, before the season started, I said I think Pittsburgh wins this division. I think the Pirates are really, really good. <laughs> they are really, really good. Really, really good. Yeah. They are really good Not a and lot they're of holes. well. They're exactly. They their pitching staff was just about in lockstep with the Cardinals last year in terms of team ERA and ERA as relievers. They win games the way the Cardinals win games. Oh, yeah. They win them close. They win them by pitching. They win them by getting that one hit when they need them. And they right now have a far more potent offense, whether it's not necessarily in if everyone hit their ceiling of potential, but certainly the way they're playing now and the way they have hit over the last couple of years, and they're well coached. I know that Clint Hurdle, um, some guys in the media really don't like him because he's he's gruff and more of an old school guy. But what manager has gotten more from ostensibly or from from less than Clint Hurdle? One constrained by the budget of the Pirates, two constrained by some of the 
talent limitations that he's had. This guy has really, really polished that stone until it's just about a perfect baseball team. Well, and Ray Searich, the pitching coach, too. Yes. And, um, you know, I'm not sure if we've talked about this before, but Travis Sawchick wrote a really interesting book called Big Data Baseball about the Pirates and Neil Huntington and uh, their analytical group that came in kind of right around 2010, 2011, 2012, and essentially with the same group of personnel from 2011, 2012, the huge collapse in 2012 to 2013 about just embracing some new philosophies. And a lot of the philosophies that we've talked about relating to the Cardinals, whether it be, you know, throwing fastballs down in the zone, uh, keeping balls down, throwing a lot of sinkers, embracing your defense behind yeah, you, pitching the and contact, getting really. a lot of ground balls, that's really helped the team. And it's also helped them shorten games, too, because... He got a lot of strikeouts in this Cardinal series, but if you look at the way some of the Pirates pitchers and some of the reclamation projects that they brought in, they've been able to be really effective because you know they shorten innings and they thus shorten games because you're pitching to contact. You're not trying to get strikeout after strikeout. It helps if you're facing the Cardinals this past series, I guess, but you embrace that. You have great, great defense behind you. Their outfield is silly good, too. Yeah, so it's really good. when you do have fly balls and line drives, forget about it. And then you're able to shorten the game and turn things over to what's been a really, really strong bullpen. Well, and that's exactly the way the Cardinals staff is, and, and bullpen is, is kind of constructed here. Is and, and when you talked about reclamation projects, that approach is why it's so effective because Juan Nicasio. <laughs> yeah, Juan Nicasio. Cy, Cy Nicasio. Cy perhaps Nicasio. You, perhaps you've heard of him. Um, heard of him last night. What they what they've done is realize that what it takes to strike out a major league hitter is, is a certain level of talent and health and sustainability. But a lot of pitchers can get a major league hitter out without yeah. trying to strike no, him that's out. That's a good point. And if you work down and you work the edges, you're not going to get as many strikeouts. But given that the best hitters in the game already fail seven out of ten times, all you need to do is keep the ball out of the middle of the plate and let them hit into outs. And a lot of these pitchers that looking at on paper shouldn't be as effective as they are, are effective because of that. And if you look at the way Adam Wainwright pitches now, he still can occasionally strike out seven in a game, but what he really does is not allow you to get the barrel of the bat onto the ball. And Everything that you swing at is bad contact. That's how it's designed. Jaime Garcia, same way. Everything he has moves and dives and dips, and it's really hard to barrel them up. And those guys become infinitely more effective if they're pitching to contact rather than if they're pitching to strike out, which has always been the mark of a great pitcher is can you get guys out without them having to risk it putting in play. And so you look at the way the Cardinals' rotation is stacked up, not a ton of power strikeout guys, guys that have the capability. Maybe Carlos Martinez doesn't really fit that, but even he has dialed off the 98-99 and works far more often in the 93-95 to range because he gets more movement, and so when they do put bat on ball, it's ugly contact, and it keeps these guys from going 120 pitches, 130 pitches, because you're out of innings a lot faster. You know, and that's the... New market inefficiencies, which teams can find these guys and take advantage of them. And, you know, the, the, the poster child really for this is Jake Arietta, who the Cubs identified and brought over and said, we don't think he's pitching the right way. He's not throwing his splitter. He's not keeping the ball down in the zone. He's not pitching to contact. He didn't have a ground ball rate better than 45% over the course of three seasons in Baltimore. He comes to the Cubs, 50% ground ball rate over a portion of the season in 2014, 56% ground ball rate last year. 
I mean, that's a 10% yeah. jump. You're talking about a lot of baseballs now that are not being hit in the air, that are mm-hmm. being hit on the ground, and a lot more good outcomes happen, including a home run to fly ball rate, which drops significantly. So yep. if you can identify that, and Michael Walker and Carlos Martinez have been a good example of that too. I know we've talked about it before on the podcast. Like, If you can embrace that philosophy, and again, it's not going to work for everyone. You need to have the right skill set. You need to be in the right ballpark. You need to have the right defense behind you. You need to have the right pitching coach and manager who are going to embrace this kind of philosophy. Some guys just simply aren't going to do that. And some guys are simply going to try to keep throwing and throwing and throwing and striking guys out. But you need to embrace that. When you get 0-2, when you get 1-2, don't nibble. You know, Just go after a guy. Make him put the ball in play. And as we see more and more of that, again, Arietta kind of the poster child for that. Um, To some extent, Jason Hamill, when the Cubs... Acquired him. He had a similar turnaround, and teams that can do that, and you know, kind of to come full circle, don't invest then in really, really high draft picks on some of these high risk arms that we're seeing go down and have significant arm surgeries. In the long run, they're probably going to be in a better spot. So you and, know, and there it's, are guys it's, it's, it's that, an that don't case need study. to. No, I mean, that, like Corey Klubes and uh, yeah. Clayton Kershaw. Like those guys have such good stuff and so much power in their arm that they don't need to pitch to contact. But those guys are super rare in this league, and there's a whole lot of middling starters who go from back-end guys to really effective pitchers doing exactly what you described. 0-2-1-2, don't nibble. Give them part of the strike zone. Just bury it at the bottom. Because statistically, over and over and over, nine times out of ten, that pitch gets driven into the ground to third base to second base, and you're out. And you don't have to throw two more pitches trying to outwit this guy. Just give him a ball to swing at and let him pound it into the earth. And so that's why that's why I think you're you make a really good point about how these this Pirates team is so good is they have really embraced that philosophy and built a staff that's very very difficult to gain any headway on. I you know, we mentioned the strikeout numbers the Cardinals had. It's not unusual for this team at this point of the year across the league in the first yeah, set I of mean, games. There's been it's there's an average I saw it today. There's an average of 17 strikeouts a game. Wow. Which that's not crazy because at this point in the year, the pitching is always a little bit ahead of the hitting, and hitting kind of catches up as the For season sure. warms up. For sure. But what you saw was the the Pirates got enough out of their hitting, and the Cardinals were still pounding the ball into the ground because the Pirates were just focused on staying down, staying down in the zone. Giving you bad pitches to hit, and then Lariano, who's who's just a nightmare for this Cardinals team. I mean, obviously he struck out ten, but he's a guy that has such effective stuff that yeah. he's either going to strike you out or you're going to pop up. So whatever day, whatever way the penny falls that day is that d- defines his stri- strikeout numbers. Bring on Atlanta. Yeah, you want to talk about getting the ship right? How about Atlanta, Milwaukee? You hope so. Cincinnati. I'd say, you know what, if the Cardinals have won two or three games after the end of those three series, go ahead and, and, and hit the hit the alarm, hit the panic alarm. Well, but- I think we know that two of those three teams are probably trying at some level to tank, and, and I don't mean that the players are trying to go out and lose or the manager that has a job is trying to go out and lose, but literally the talent on that roster is at a level where – they shouldn't win more yeah, than not 70 or 75 games. The Reds are gutted except for just a couple form players. See, the Reds might be not terrible enough to tank just because they have a legitimate MVP candidate in Joey Votto. Sure. They've got Brandon Phillips who wouldn't 
Wave is no trade clause. They've got some pitch. I, I don't know. I mean, they're, 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 they're not going to be though. good. Their bullpen was bad with Chapman because he never we never got to use Chapman. Yeah. They're, they they're not going to be good, but throw. like they still have some good players. Like the Braves, sure. and Brewers don't have any good players. <laughs> that's like that's, they, 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 they don't. Well, they and don't. the Brewers, and I think what you're going to see a lot of this year is the Brewers have a completely revamped system, and they're getting a lot of yeah, praise for their good. minor leagues. Yeah. And so which you're going to see is, yeah, a lot if of you're those gonna guys. Do it, yeah. If you're going to do it, like do it, you know? Like if you're going to tear it down. <laughs> Astros this is, style. Well, this is what the Phillies didn't do for those couple of years. <laughs> you know, this is what the Reds really aren't doing right now. Like if you're going to tear it down and rebuild, do it like the Astros. Do yeah. it like the Cubs. Tear it the hell down. Get anything you can for any of your assets, and then just stack your club with young, cost-controlled guys. You've got to obviously develop them. That's not taken for granted. But then, when you get to the point where you can be competitive, then you will be financially at a point yes. where you can then go out and Stable. spend some calculated money. Right. Right. And that's and that's what the Cubs have done, and that's what everyone has praised them for, and that's what the Brewers are attempting to do in in this. But that also means opponents of the Brewers are going to see for most of this year a lot of guys who are not quite major league talent yet. Which, if you're a Cardinals team that's opening at home, and you have a guy like Michael Waka taking the mound, um, who has struggled to locate the fastball, and 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 by proxy then is unable to use the changeup as effectively. Uh, that's the kind of lineup that you want to see when you're looking for. Uh, let's get a victory. Let's let's right the ship. Let's build a little bit. Let's put that to bed. I think Michael Walker starting a second game against the Brewers is about as good of a draw as you could have requested if you had met a genie. Ta- <laughs> Taylor Youngman scheduled on Tuesday or on Monday for Milwaukee right now. Then uh, Chase Anderson mm-hmm. yeah. against Mike Leak on Wednesday. I- had forgotten that a Chase Anderson was involved in Milwaukee's <laughs> season. And uh, then Willie Peralta, who always seems to be surprisingly decent. Yeah. So, he's one of those guys that at the end of the year, you look at his numbers and you're like, really? How did he get here? He's one of those guys that if you play fantasy baseball for some two-week stretch or multiple two-week <laughs> stretches, you will own Willie Peralta. Oh, in absolutely! Baseball. Yeah, he was the. He's you'll, like you'll the pick Donovan him up on a Wednesday McNabb and try to steal of, yeah. a win. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. He's the backup. Right, he's the Alfred Blue desperation star. Yes. Is what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, I think. And 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 to go back to Michael Walker, I think we saw something from him that we thought he had passed in the spring in his final start, which was having trouble locating the fastball with consistency, and. We talked about this a little bit last night, Chris. Um, for a guy that has built his career on fastball changeup and then has worked to develop cutter, sinker, curve, anything more than a show pitch, everything, the keystone, the flagstone of the whole thing is the fastball. And if you can't locate the fastball and they're not having to, to swing at it, that drastically reduces the effectiveness of every secondary pitch, especially that deadly changeup. Yeah, I want to hear if um, we hear anything like we did towards the end of last year about mechanical changes and about really working, maybe not changes, maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but really working mechanically in between starts to try and lock in on why he's having some issues and how we can get back to where he was. Because he looks great in that last spring start. So, you know, uh, really good. Yeah. again, glass half full, maybe you chalk it up to first start. 
some nasty weather. Um, well, it gets more nasty weather Monday, guess, according yeah, to the I guess, guess the Pirates wouldn't chalk anything up to <laughs> nasty weather. But, no, I mean, I've, I've got high hopes for him or, or high, I guess, expectations is the better way to put it, for him to see if he can make the jump this year to really becoming a true kind of number two caliber guy. Yeah, I think you have a couple guys who could both be number two guys that are going to be opening up in Atlanta with Jaime Garcia and Carlos Martinez Yeah, from spring. Um Argument could be made that apart from Jaime's f- first start, uh, those two showed the clearest improvement from start to start. Yeah. And by the end of spring, both needed a little bit of extra time, but both look really good. I mean, Carlos Martinez in his last start in Jupiter was mind-boggling. I mean, he he when he needed it, he reared back through 100 miles an hour past Cespedes. Uh, when he needed it, he could drop it down to 91 with a bunch of run on his fastball. He seems to have really settled into the mindset of it's not just this at bat, it's 18 more at bats. I need to stay calm. And then he can kind of dip in the well when he needed to, like he did against Cespedes, where he just blew it past him. And he can kind of find the balance where he has his Jekyll and his Hyde and he has learned how to tame it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing Carlos pitch on Saturday mm-hmm. and uh, see how he's used, see how long of a leash he has from start to start. But I'm excited, man. Excited to see Jaime, but really excited to see Carlos on Saturday. Can't yeah. wait. I mean, both of those guys are, are starting to pitch similar. You know, Martinez. And excited to see Taylor Youngman next Ta- week. Taylor Youngman. How about a Chase Anderson? I believe an Anthony D. Scalfani is involved when the Reds are here. That's, Anthony D. Scalfani. It's always so a these good are, one. Yeah, these are names that when I see them listed as opening day starters or they're going to be number two in the rotation, these are names that for the past few years you've seen at the back end or a guy that's kind of bouncing between the bullpen and the rotation. These are not major league rotations that these teams have. and Take advantage, man. And when like talking about the Pirates, like you said, talking about the Cubs, like everyone has, those are wins that the Cardinals must gobble up yeah. because it's going to take, I don't know, what do you think, 97 wins to win this division as a floor, maybe? I'd 95? I'd be surprised just because of how hard it is to win 95 baseball games if anyone gets up there again. But all three of them did it last year. Well, right. I think last year was kind of a special year, and you talk about regression of the mean. But you never know. You know, I... I think 93, 94 probably wins I, a division, I, but but yeah. See, and I'm of the belief that someone in this division is going to win 95 games. Yeah, may, I mean that's that's would not be shocking yeah. whatsoever. And would if you're be, and if you're the Cardinals and you hope to be that team and you hope to at least edge out or not be in a one game playoff with someone from yeah, you know the East or the Central. Um, you you cannot give away two of three to the Brewers no, and I, two of three to the Reds or two of three to the, the Braves. Braves yeah. I mean, so this is while this is very early and a lot of the results are small sample size. Th- these three series are extremely important because oh, yeah. these are three Huge. very sweepable series, and you can't afford to give away. You can't lose any of these series. There's not enough wins on the table to give those away. Yeah. Well, Chris, I uh, I thank you very much for uh, making the time today. Uh, as always, you were an absolute delight. Yeah, we'll reconvene. Uh, we'll reconvene next week, and yeah. hopefully have a couple of wins to talk about. Yeah, we'll have a, a home Cardinal game, and uh, hopefully a little bit better weather than uh, what's scheduled right now, which is some cold rain. But yeah. thank you for listening to the Baseball SDL podcast. We are brought to you by Dave Sinclair Ford, Ben Arnold at Ben Arnold eighty eight does our music. I'm JJ Bailey, the JJ Bailey on Twitter. Chris Raby joins me as he usually does. He's at C H R A B E on Twitter. We will be back next week after the Cardinals return to Bush. 
We will see you then. Taylor Youngman.